Hey, welcome back to Need to Know, a podcast by The Commons. This is Luis Martinez Mode, your host. Today, we're going to listen to a conversation I had with Matt Hamill, the co-founder and COO of AirOps, a company that helps you build task-specific AI apps. We also get into his time as an early employee at Bungalow, where he worked on sales, biz ops, and everything in between. Let's jump into it. Well, Matt, let me start by introducing myself. I've been involved with the Commons since before they launched, actually. So Lauren and Chris, who used to be with the Commons, um, reached out to me right at the beginning of the pandemic, and uh, they told me about this uh, this idea they had for basically making it easier to crack into tech. And that's where, you know, where the Commons started. It has led to a lot of very cool things um, that Charlie, Pat, and the team are, have put together and that, you know, has led to the community that brings us all here today. But I think the point of my intro is to, is to mention that things that I find special in the Commons are the community and the community members. Everybody is incredibly generous with their time as well as with uh, with the help that they give uh, each other and, and making sure everyone's advancing their career. And the reason that's that's important is because I wanted to thank you for your time and, and being here with us because, you know, on a, on a Tuesday evening as a, as a founder, I'm guessing you have plenty of other <laughs> things to be doing other than talking to us here. So I wanted to make sure I called that out and, and showed you some appreciation. Well, we'll very much appreciate it and uh, really excited to be here. And uh, like you mentioned, really excited to, to chat with folks and to answer any questions at the end of this. I think um, have seen a little bit, learned a little bit about the commons and it seems like a phenomenal organization. Well, let, let's get into it. Let's start at the beginning. What's the elevator pitch? Who is Matt? <laughs> um, I won't I won't go too far back. Um, originally from the West Coast, went to college on the East Coast, found myself as uh, kind of many people graduating from college do who don't know exactly what they want to do with the rest of their life in consulting, worked in strategy consulting for Deloitte, where I would the way I describe that is kind of learning on on many other people's dimes while making um, kind of some of the the best, uh, both friends and colleagues that I could possibly imagined. And I would say kind of getting a well-rounded skill set that um, um, over time has drawn me into tech. Had a, a brief stopover in business school and had my first experience at a startup while there. I was working at a, it was a seven-person uh, seed stage med tech startup, I would say, once I got hoodwinked, but the uh, the summer internship turned out to to be a, an SDR job and be basically being sales. But it was uh, it was like it was it was marketed a little differently. But um, honestly, I'm I'm super grateful for that experience. Certainly nowadays, we can get into that. And then I was gonna um, say, I'm sure it yeah. comes in handy. I'm sure yeah. it comes in handy. Yeah, <laughs> like learning. Everyone should learn how to cold call at least once in their life. Everyone should wait tables at least once in their life. Are my like two rules for uh, two boxes to check it at some point. But then eventually um, moved back to the West Coast with, uh, with my now uh, wife and ended up joining a, a real estate tech company called called Bungalow. Venture-backed, some of you might have heard of it, but it's basically Airbnb for living with roommates. Super mm -hmm. complex business. Um, and I joined right after our Series A. I would say I was a, I was a biz ops team of one, um, and that evolved into kind of uh, a number of different roles over over my sort of three and a half, four years there. And then kind of bringing us to today, um, had the opportunity to start AirOps with uh, 
former colleague of mine from Bungalow who led product there. And uh, we, we've always been kind of Batman and Robin. We won't say which was which. And so getting the opportunity, his name is Alex, getting the opportunity to work with him uh, and our other co-founder burnout was just a, a can't miss opportunity and happy to happy to dive into any of that. I realized that was a, a pretty quick walkthrough, but but didn't want to board you guys. We are going to dive into every aspect of, of what awesome. you mentioned. So oh, I Perfect. think that's great that we, we kicked off there. So um, let's talk about that first transition. I think, you know, yeah. especially thinking about our audience, right? The commons in general, it's folks usually looking to make a transition or trying to up level. And so those are really the frameworks I have in my mind for, for the sorts of conversations yeah. I, I, I'm looking for us to have. That first transition, consulting to biz ops, what, would that, what was that like? The good, the bad, the ugly? Yeah, um, I would say the, 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 I'll start with the best part. The best part was um, not having to have, um, it, when you're consulting, there's sort of two conversations in the room. There's the one like with the team, then there's one with the client. Being able to just like, there's one conversation, it's like towards the customer and towards solving problems for the business. So that was the best part and the like, the thing I could, could never look back, back for. Uh, the, the hardest adjustment is honestly the pace. Um, you know, when, when you move from consulting, um, it's a lot more administrative. You're typically working with bigger, kind of slower organizations. Um, that structure can be good. It, it sort of is a benefit, but the like, the pace of working at a kind of a series A venture back startup is like certainly like a, a well-run one is, is just a lot faster. And then I think that the, the last part is just, there's no one's job to do certain things. And so just being able to like, to pick things up, um, certainly as a non-technical or like non-engineer is super important. Um, and is I actually think a great way of like, once you land the job to just get ahead and, and, and be, kind of be respected and, and really everyone should have that mentality, but it's, I think it's particularly important for, for folks with kind of a consulting or banking background where fairly or unfairly, there's sort of a, a, a little bit of a stigma coming, coming into tech that you just, you can get through very quickly, but um, that's one good way to do it. Yeah. That, that makes a ton of sense. And I think one the way I've been, I've heard it talked about is be an owner, right? Learn, yeah. learn to be an owner. Basically, there's no there's no job that's too lowly. Um, I think you probably get that better than most now that you're a founder, and we'll, we'll get into that. But that sounds like a you know having made a similar transition myself, uh, everything you said resonates. Um, but you you just said it right, like you just said that this all applies once you've landed the job. Can you tell us a yeah. little bit about what what that search was like? Like how did you how did you end up at Bungalow? Yeah, it's a it's a good. Good question. When I was in, uh, I was in New York at, at business school. I, a lot of friends were sort of recruiting for tech jobs, and I sort of realized that it was not going to be that easy coming straight from business school. So I ended up going back to consulting for sort of a brief stint of time. Was able to uh, had a summer off in between in between that, um, and that's actually where I ended up working at working at Bungalow. So took a I would say like a very very low paid summer sort of internship, um, even though I was like post business school. And that was like a great way of getting my foot in the door and improving myself. I think particularly like earlier stage startups, like seed stage and series A, we're always looking to to get work done without having to necessarily commit to a, a full-time hire, um, which sort of opens up opportunities for folks without a specific tech background, but who might have a specific skill from their past life, uh, finance consulting or, or otherwise to come in and do something. So 
Um, doesn't always work in terms of people's schedules, but that was certainly how I got one foot in the door and then got my shot and then sort of the, ran with it. Makes sense. Well, um, this group of people at the Commons have demonstrated yeah. that they can handle something outside <laughs> of their day job yeah. by doing by doing a very very bizopsy uh, set of a uh, set of projects. Um, and so, I think this group can handle it for sure. Yeah. the The other thing I would say there is just like cold email, like a well drafted cold email. I will always like pick up and respond to. Like, make it short and make it to the point and say how you can help or want to help. I think. It's really annoying when you just ask like, hey, can I have have some if you're asking for something, but not like um, leading with what you're going to give is um, typically leads to lower response rates. So um, craft, try to craft something that you can add as value, even if it's just something interesting to the the founder may not have seen or noticed about their industry is like, like, I appreciate every once in a while I get that from a, uh, someone looking for a job or someone looking to, to sell. Folks, I, the amount of times I've heard this. Uh, this piece of advice and the amount of times I've seen it work is astounding. It is one of those like counterintuitive things that you're like, cold emailing would never work. And actually in tech, it works all the time. It doesn't work with every single cold email, but every person that tries it ends up succeeding. And so I, I could not back up Matt more on, on, on that piece of advice. Um, well, great. That, that makes a ton of sense, uh, Matt. Let's get into your time at Bungalow specifically, right? From what I can tell, you know, you came in a team of one in BizOps, and then you ended up in a leadership position leading BizOps, right? There's two things there, right? One, I'm guessing there was someone to lead. So you built a team. I'd love to hear about that in a second. And the second piece is how did you go from, you know, being director level, which is what I saw on your LinkedIn, to being VP level, which is, you know, a leadership position. Like, what was that transition like? What was the business need? What was it like for you? And just take it from there. Great question. Um, the way it started out, the running joke is that uh, there was kind of like a laundry list of projects for me to own before, for a quarter before I, before I started, um, which often when you come into a biz ops role like that is is pretty common, right? There's, they're all, you'll start with the things that have been somewhat neglected, but have become urgently important. So we literally had a, just like a whiteboard where we just like wrote all those things down and had like, I mean, you'd probably do it in like Monday or Notion now, but it was like a Kanban board of all the kind of like big rocks that we needed to to crack and get things in order. And um, I could really started as kind of like a series of of projects that either then uh, we would try to like hand back to the team where it made sense to to own it, or uh, in a few cases that involved kind of like me scaling functions within BizOps. So. And BizOps, as, as I'm sure most of your participants and, and you guys know, it can mean a lot of things. It started off as sort of special projects, and then it evolved to include analytics, pricing and revenue management, um, and then like a couple additional people on more on the, the special project side. So the sort of like scope increased as me and collectively with the team like worked through sort of significant projects that we needed to to build our kind of like pricing model being one example, kind of building out our data stack being another, and then sort of like a series of, of projects around improving margins, growing faster, kind of like making the business kind of like hum more more smoothly that I led or kind of like partnered with different teams on that then turned into, hey, like we need a person to, to do pricing, for example, or we need to hire an analyst to like 
to kind of like support our, our analytics team and that kind of logically fit within my within my scope to start. Can you clarify what you mean by special projects versus you know the yeah. other the other sub functions that you mentioned? You know, yeah, folks absolutely. in the industry might might know off of pattern recognition from different companies, but but others might not. Yeah, so let me take those three kind of sub functions separately. So special projects, the best way I can describe that is, you know, there's something we need to build or or figure out in the business that doesn't neatly ladder up to a specific team or uh, person in the organization. It was me to start and then people on my team, like, go figure it out, figure out how to, to scope the project around it, to pull the right people in from the company or outside the company, and then have a specific result that you're trying to, to prove and then help hand it off back to typically a specific function in the business, or in some cases, like, you're standing up a new function in the business. Um, pricing looks a little differently at, at, at depending on the business um, that you're in. Sometimes it'll sit within BizOps. Sometimes it'll sit within finance. In our case, it was pricing both the, the rooms that we were renting in our homes, as well as sort of underwriting the homes that we were taking on. We were a, we were a marketplace business. And that was one part kind of analysis, one part sort of like financial modeling. Um, and then lastly, analytics um, also can mean mean a lot depending on on where you are and sit in various parts of uh, an organization. Um, that was basically part one was centralizing all of the, the data from various kind of SaaS applications like Salesforce and, and Zendesk that we used in our um, kind of like lead channels um, into one place. And then making it easy and sort of ties into AirOps a little bit later, making it easy for people to um, access that information wherever they needed to, to do analysis um, for their job, for their function, to, to report out their, their KPIs, et cetera. Um, and so each of those functions is a little different, um, some, some overlap between them. That makes perfect sense. So you haven't been through, you know, you built the BizOps team, right? And we'll get to the other functions in a second, but yeah. I think BizOps is highly relevant for, for this group, right? Um, you built the BizOps team, which meant that you had to excel at the role and you also had to know how to hire people who would excel at the role. If you had to call out, you know, kind of, you know, the core competencies of someone who, who's going to thrive in a BizOps context, what, what would those be? First is be the person who can get done, get things done quickly. I would say well and quickly, but um, but just having that reputation and for competency and speed and the combination thereof is is the most important. Um, being number one, being I would say facile enough with numbers to understand. Most importantly, the what I would call like the business equation for how the business operates. What are the important sort of inputs? outputs and then outcomes that you're that you're driving towards um, and be able to coach others on that. Um, you don't necessarily need to be the most like completely analytical person. Like it doesn't require necessarily an investment banking background or some like some deep technical SQL skills, but really um, understanding how numbers flow together in a business and in particular the business that you're that you're working in, the ability to pick that up quickly, probably the second. And then third just being able to, what I describe is uh, have the, the dark arts of influence. A lot of times you're, um, you're having to cajole and influence for, for resources, for decision-making, for, for just help, honestly. And I don't mean that in like a very political sense. I just mean it in like, a, like you, when push comes to shove, you're going to have to get people to 
go to bat for and, and do work for you and, and buy into what it is you're, you're trying to solve. And so that's probably the one that is uh, it's the hardest one to learn and like get good at, but it, it's just kind of necessary in order for some of the projects to really be successful. I'm going to rip off the dark arts of, of influence so often. You have no idea, Matt. <laughs> thank you. Thank you for adding that to my vocabulary. I, I couldn't agree more. No right? It's like being able to, I mean, in, in so many other organizations it's called it, it, people talk about it as cross-functional influence, right? Like how do yeah. you get people who don't work for you to do work for you? And I think uh, that that's a really underappreciated aspect of, of what it takes to be successful in these roles. And uh, what, the takeaway for me is right. Never stop investing in the soft skills because they really do matter in a lot of these these roles. Just going back to the comment on cold emailing, the most important like input to having influence is like being willing to do something annoying or something like painful on behalf of or, or with someone else in the team. So it's like it's, you get you get what you give, and you got to start like as an outward orientation, um, helping others first before you can expect them to to be to reciprocate that and so perfect so let, let's take that in and move it into the next topic i wanted to touch on right yeah so we're in the biz ops world how, how does that move from biz ops plus sales to biz ops plus sales plus cx which i'm <laughs> guessing is customer experience you'll tell me and basically like how do you one um expand your scope um yeah. and you know get to a place where you're trusted enough to, to do that and then two how do you assimilate those additional functions under you as a leader and build that trust with these folks that maybe weren't reporting to you before and now are yeah great question um i won't tell the full full gory version of the story but it's sort of the there was a um sort of inflection point in bungalow's business when COVID happened um where we had to make a lot of sort of like quick emergency decisions. This, this happened in a lot of businesses. Ours just happened to be um, somewhat more challenging just for, for a lot of reasons. Rents went down precipitously. So initially was sort of tagged to sort of kind of lead the, we call it a turnaround project, but basically a financial right sizing of the company. Um, that one one part was very heavily involved with our sales team um, over the course of COVID. Um, it just sort of one as a, as a function of, um, you know, leading that project and the others of just, I was, I was probably closest. Uh, we never, we never hired, had, we never really hired sales ops uh, at Bungalow. So I kind of just like did it as an IC, um, even though I had a, had a team elsewhere to working on other projects. And so that was probably how kind of sales sort of fell under my remit. And then um, the last year I was there, this is after we had gotten through COVID and really it sort of made sense, you know, thinking about all of our customer facing functions together. And so I actually sort of shifted away a few of the functions within BizOps analytics specifically, and then ended up leading sort of basically any function at, at Bungalow that touched the customer. So sales, CX, um, account management, compliance and then still still pricing and that was kind of a, a probably that was a lot under under one scope certainly but i think just in terms of sort of delegation at scale which um honestly the hard the hardest part of like being a manager and managing and and getting things things done is delegation and then at that point it was like kind of like meta delegation through others that um 
you know, I've, I've, it was a great experience, but honestly, um, it somewhat made me miss the like doing five roles, like early stage startup. There was just like a little bit, bit of it over time that I was like, all right, I, I, I feel the, I feel the urge to go back and, and, and send building. Well, not to jump you ahead, say that. I was like, yeah, my, you're not my, my, that's my we're, reaction we're when I tell that story. I'm like, Oh, it just made me want to go like start a company or be early stage again. So yeah, you're, we're, we're jumping ahead together. Yeah. We're holding hands and doing it. <laughs> um, so yeah, I mean, I, that's exactly the the word I was going to use though. Like, what made you want to jump into entrepreneurship? <laughs> that you might have just answered this right, but like, what made you go from hey, I've got an established leadership position at a yeah. venture back uh, startup to I'm going to go, you know, be a founder? What I just mentioned was kind of like a aggravating factor not so much the kind of core reason that was just kind of like like pouring pouring gas on the itch to to mix a metaphor um honestly the opera it was it was sort of a common reason people become founders it was it was the opportunity to work with just amazing people in um in my co-founders and then um like honestly there was just some experiences that were just a combination of like the highest highs of like we were able to do this thing with like really kind of scrappy non-technical people uh very few engineering resources we had these like experiences at bungalow um and then the lowest lows of holy crap this stuff is just like not scalable and like all the tools out there are just uh just like not good and not and not built for what kind of operators or kind of the, the the folks that are ranged from like semi-technical biz ops is like a common example of this or, or trying to do. And so it was combination of team and just like frustration, which, you know, we internalized as opportunity um, when we when we first embarked on, on AirOps. I'd love to get a sense from you for what it's been like at AirOps, um, the, the split between doing and leading, right? Like how much you just talked about the importance of being able to delegate, right? When you were yeah. at Bungalow, but something I'm always curious about is like, okay, how quickly do you go from the founding team doing everything themselves to, hey, actually, if we're going to take this anywhere, we've got to start hiring people and becoming more of, you know, a management and, and leadership team. Yeah, it's a great question. It's I would also caveat saying that it depends a bit on the type of your business, how much fundraising and resources you have, and there's times where it makes sense for the founders to be icing and doing all the work for, for a long, long time. Um, and then there's times where, where that might not be the case, but in our, and I'll, I'll, I'll kind of give, give our example. We, uh, I, I like to joke that like my, the, if you look at my calendars, like my two biggest jobs in, in my current uh, iteration of bungalows, one is like being an SDR and the other was like making sure the, the, like the, the, the trains don't drive off the track, which like, Sounds like it is is a little generic, but like making sure uh, employees have health insurance and like figuring out some of the like kind of like operational nuances of a startup, though they shouldn't take nearly as much time as they do, end up being time sucks. And so I do a bunch more than that. But I think like to answer your question specifically, the area where it makes most sense to start delegating kind of outside the founding team is leaving engineering aside because I think like typically when you're building certainly a, a SaaS product, there's a um, just a, a certain amount of raw engineering work that needs to get done. But in terms of like non non engineering work, um, it's areas where you 
um, you're kind of moving from what I would call experimentation to repetition. Um, and so uh, my co-founder, Alex, likes to describe go-to-market at a startup as, and really success of a startup generally, is just maximizing the number of shots on goal or bets you can make and then get results from um, until you hopefully find product market fit, which means you have to do them very quickly um, and you have to iterate and you have to be willing to like scrap something and like avoid the sunk cost fallacy, even when you, you might be emotionally attached with it at times. Um, and how that ties to sort of delegation versus kind of founders doing it themselves is um, you, you really want the, the founding team to be kind of like driving the experimental um, type work, um, whether that's like trying out a new lead channel, you know, like um, coming on podcast for the first time, <laughs> um, going like and figuring out, um, you know, a new iteration of, of the product um, and getting customer feedback directly. Like those are the things until you've then figured out like, okay, this thing works, right? Um, and this thing could mean like, you know, SEO content. And, and that's something we invested in early. Um and we know that's going to work for this specific audience because of the specific thing. And so therefore, there's a specific person, either um, either part-time agency, what have you, or a full-time employee that um, is frankly just going to be better at that thing. Um, so once the experiment has shown enough uh, results, you typically then want to shift those to some more um, expert resource at those so that you can then spend your time on the more experimentation really driving towards towards product market fit. So that was a long-winded answer, but um, really the, the balance between experimentation and, and repetition is, is how I think about it. No, that, that makes a ton of sense. And um, I think the, dis- the distinctions you're making around the type of work that you're doing and the type of company that you're building are very important, right? And it's something that um, I certainly can lose track of as well as, you know, I, I think lots of people who are breaking into tech or trying to up-level themselves within tech Fail, fail to realize at any given time. So great, great call-outs there. Um, complete left turn, which is yeah. um, how do you how do you deal with all of it? Like, what's the what keeps Matt what keeps Matt sane? Like, how do you how do you go about that? Um, well, I'd be remiss if I didn't uh, give a shout out to my kind of amazing, wonderful, patient wife uh, who has encouraged me through. All of it, thick and thin, prior to AirOps, during AirOps, and is is our biggest fan. Um, and then I hope she's listening in the background of you saying yeah, that. Yeah, she is. <laughs> I think she's I think she's on the call. But um, okay. so number one, her, and then number two, each of honestly, each of the found, each of us founders knew each other um, or had worked together closely in the past and have kind of a kind of deep relationship of working and outside and. And honestly, that um, that makes a big difference um, to just being able to like spend time with each other in a way that we're not having to talk about work, to like have each other's back or know when someone's having a bad day. Um, so that's that's really important. And then honestly, like making playlists. Like I really love music, and so just like my I, I joke that like I started a startup so I could uh, hopefully have a successful exit and then become a DJ one day. So. Uh, that's my like <laughs> deepest motivating factor. So, so making playlists is my my like uh, escape towards that when I'm when I'm having a bad day.